Could we turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 35? You remember that before I went on holidays, we were doing a series on Jacob, and I'd hoped to finish it um, on the last day before my holidays, but then there was just too much, really, in uh, the end up. So uh, we're coming back to the thought about Jacob. And we're going to read from verse 1 of Genesis chapter 35 again. We did read that the last time, but we'll read the same passage again. Genesis chapter 35, and beginning our reading at verse 1 of the chapter. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments. And let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods that were in their hand, and all their earrings, which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the oak, which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him. And he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared unto him, when he fled from the face of his brother. But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak, and the name of it was called Alan Bukuth. And God appeared unto Jacob again, and he came out of Paddan Aram and blessed him. And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply a nation, and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. And the land which I gave Abram and Isaac to thee I will give it, and to thy seed after thee will I give the land. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone, And he poured a drink offering thereon, and he poured oil thereon. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him, Bethel. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way of Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar unto, upon her grave, that is the pillar of Rachel's grave, unto this day. And Israel journeyed and spread his tent beyond the tower of Edar, And it came to pass, when Israel dwelt in that land, that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. And Israel heard it, 
Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. The sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and Simeon, and Levi, and Judah, and Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin. The sons of Bilah, Rachel's handmaid, Dan, and Naphtali. And the sons of Zilpah, Leah's handmaid, Gad, and Asher. These are the sons of Jacob, which were born to him in Paddan Aram. And Jacob came unto Isaac, his father, unto Mamre, in, unto the city of Arba, which is Hebron. There Abram and Isaac journeyed, sojourned. And the days of Isaac were a hundred and four score years. And Isaac gave up the ghost and dined, and was gathered unto his people, being old and full of de- days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reign of his precious word again. Let's unite in a word of prayer. Our loving and our gracious God, we do thank thee for the precious word of God to our hearts. And we thank thee for these scenes. Some of them are sad scenes, but nevertheless, we thank thee for even thy direction and guidance in life. And we pray that even as we come to look at Jacob again, that we might uh, learn from thy servant and that we might uh, even gain uh, instruction even for our own lives and for our own circumstances in this time. Be with us, our God, for it's in Jesus' precious name that we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Now, we've been looking at the life of Jacob, and we're coming today to the final acts in the life of God's servant here. We have come to the end of the chapter, and we're coming towards the end of the life of the great patriarch, and you'll notice that this chapter that we have, learnt, we have read today is a, a, a catalogue of funerals, a catalogue of burials. And we find that those that are servants of God are not exempt from sorrows. Though Jacob obeyed God, moving to Bethel, he still encountered mournful situations. And he's helped to the betterment and of his household as well. And we read that the Lord Jesus said, Blessed are they that mourn. Here he was in the midst of mourning, and he's suffering loss. Uh, but it's sometimes hard to see the betterment in the sorrows of life. But, you know, eventually we learn that even the sorrows of life are like the iron that we were talking about. God irons us out and gets out all the wrinkles, even through the sorrows. And... There are those that would say that old age is a blessing. The Bible says that old age is a blessing. You uh, read in the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Proverbs chapter 9, verses 10 and 11 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. For by me thy days shall be multiplied and the years of thy life shall be increased. In Psalm 91 verses 15 and 16, it says he shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. There are many people who think that long life or old age 
is something that we are to avoid. But the Bible speaks about old age as a blessing. Now, of course, there are many godly people who have died young. You think of Robert Murray McSheehan, the godly minister in Dundee, who died when he was only 29 years of age. But nevertheless, we say that old age is a blessing that is given to us, and there's a wisdom in old age. You think of the words, the famous words of Robert Browning, the poet, grew uh, grew old along with me, the best is yet to be, the last of life for which the first was made. And there is that sense in which everything comes together in old age. In Britain and in the West, there is an emphasis upon young age, upon youth. And you have even older people who dress uh, like teenagers. But I want you to see that there's a blessing in old age. Uh, We read how the psalmist speaks about the troubles of old age, and we're not denying that. The psalmist said in Psalm 71 and 9, Cast me not off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength faileth. And he speaks about a strength failing. But we find that there's a blessing in old age. But there is also the problems. And you can see it here. Life is full of losses. Here in this portion of scripture, we have what we call in our uh, culture, the sunset years. But they're not the sunset years. They are the the years of fulfillment. Now, Jacob's final years were like that. His life was filled with troubles. But when he comes to the end of his life, we find that he's closer to God than he's ever been. If if we read Genesis 34 a number of weeks ago, probably about a month ago now, and you'll find if you look in Genesis chapter 34, God is not mentioned once. God is not mentioned in the life of Jacob. But when you read Genesis chapter 35, you'll find that God appears 11 times in Genesis chapter 35. The name of God appears 11 times and is present 11 more times in the name Israel and Bethel and El Bethel, El Shaddai, God Almighty. And it's a chapter that is full of God because in his old age, Jacob had grown closer to God than he ever had. And the final scenes in the life of the old patriarch is a picture of burials, it is. But it's also a picture of God's sustaining grace in the midst of his life. Here we have the last 40 or so years of Jacob's life. And I want you just to look at the things that we see in just four scenes here in the latter days of Jacob. And first of all, I want you to see the losses he suffered. We've mentioned here all of the deaths that are taking place. And we we mentioned before, and we've noticed before the last time, the death of Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, there in verse 8. But Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died, and she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak, and the name of it was called Alan Bukuth, the death of... uh, So there we have the death of Rachel and the birth of Benjamin, but a special attention, first of all, is um, 
the, uh, the uh, death of Deborah. And Deborah, of course, is, was a servant. A servant's death was not normally recorded. But here is a woman who is highly, highly thought of, a, a woman who is highly uh, honored. And she's buried in this place alone, because, which is the tree or the oak of weeping. So obviously there was great weeping over the death of this servant. And you can see the way that God looks at her death and he sees and takes note of her death as much as he took note of the death of Rachel or the death of Isaac or the death of Jacob later on. God sees the death of each one of us and he counts it as something that's important and something that is uh, to be uh, taken down and noted. And you can see the way that uh, Deborah is honored for her faithful servant and service and for her character. And that is taken note of. And God takes note of our service. And God takes note of our character. By the way, in the announcements, I should have announced that we want a bus driver for the incoming uh, nights of the Holiday Bible Club um, because of circumstances um, we need uh, bus drivers. So if you can do a faithful service in that regard, then if you can uh, see Kyle at the end of the meeting, please, if you can uh, drive the bus on uh, an evening, we'd be very grateful for that. But God takes note of our service. But then, not only is there the death of Deborah, we have the death of Rachel, Jacob's wife. Now, that's going to cause a lot of hardship and difficulty in the life of the uh, patriarch Jacob. And Jacob is experiencing death here, and it's going to lead to heartache. Here was the woman that he loved above all others. Here is the woman, she's expecting a second child. Everything's going well, but he has her hope, his hopes for the second child child. She is hopes for what is waiting in fruitful expectation. But we find that in the midst of the journey, and their journey, it's not a bit wonder in many ways. Jake or Rachel had hard labor, and they're on a journey at the time. They're going towards, uh, they're going towards Bethel, and they're going towards uh, Hebron at the time. And so we find that Rachel dies. Now, we can speculate about why she died. Why, why did Rachel die at that time? Why, did Rachel, why was Rachel taken from Jacob just then, the wife that he loved? Well, we can't look into the provinces of God. We don't know why, and sometimes in trying to discern why, we can sin against God. There are, there are, there are desires to have things straightened out and to find the reason why. But we just look to the providences of God in all of this. And what we can say is that death is swallowed up of victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. We can say, O death, where is thy sting? And O grave, where is thy victory? But I want you to notice that in the midst of the death of Rachel here, there's another commendation for a servant. Look at the actions of Rachel's hand, or midwife in verse 17. 
Uh, we read there in verse 17 of chapter 35, But it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. Now, why does it mention the midwife and what she said? Obviously, again, God is taking note of the midwife. Her name's not given. We don't know who she was. But God knows. God knows the actions that we take. And you know, many, many times we might think that our actions are small. And this is only a small thing. This is only a sentence that she says. Well, of course, she's doing all the other jobs of a midwife in the midst of it. But this is the thing that is recorded. And we'll come back to that, some of the, the small things that we do. But you know, here was Rachel, and she's buried in Bethlehem, right on the border of the land that was to be the land of the tribe of Benjamin, appropriately, in time to come. And you'll notice that Jacob sets up a pillar, and she's not forgotten. And the pillar uh, obviously was there in the time of Moses. It was seemed to be there in the time of the, uh, of the prophet Samuel as well. It was still there at that time. But you can see why, you know, sometimes we wonder about things. People put up memorials to their, or stone to mark their loved ones. And there you have the scripture warrant for doing that. And of course, her name is not forgotten. And we find that her name is honored here of God. But we see here that she's honored not only by the Lord, but by her loved ones. But then there's another loss that Jacob sustains here. It's a different type of loss. He loses his son. We read about the fall of Reuben. If you look at verse 22, And it came to pass, when Israel dwelt in that land, that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard it. There are worse things than death to mourn over. And that is moral sin. The moral sin in our text brings real mourning to Jacob. And we think of this incestuous relationship with one of Jacob's concubines, his sort of stepmother, if we put it like that. Um, and he is the, she's the mother of his half-brothers, Dan and Naphtali. And Moses just seems to pass this over. It's a shocking thr uh, truth here. And he just uh, doesn't say much about it. But it's mentioned again when Jacob comes to bless the tribes. And in Genesis 49, verses 3 and 4, Moses recounts Jacob's final words. And he says, Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, the excellency of power. Unstable as water thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up to thy father's bed. Then defilest thou it, he went up to my couch. And you can see that that sin is set against Reuben. And you think about the way that Simeon and Levi had uh, gone in to Shechem and had murdered the inhabitants of Shechem. And you can see the way that Reuben and Simeon and Levi are passed over, that the line of the Messiah comes through the next son, Judah. And you can see that their sin is finding them out, and you can see the consequences of their sins. And we see how it's found out. We're told here that Israel heard it. There was a day when Israel found out 
about what Reuben had done and what his actions had been. And this hearing brought much mourning to Jacob. But we see the truth again. Be sure your sin will find you out. And it's a reminder of the truth of that in the portion of Scripture. So there's the loss of Deborah. There's the loss of Rachel. There's the loss of Reuben. And then there's the loss of Isaac. Look at verses 27 to 29. It says, And Jacob came unto Isaac his father, unto Mamre, unto the city of Arba, which is Hebron, where Abram and Isaac sojourned. And the days of Isaac were a hundred and fourscore years. And Isaac gave up the ghost and dined, and was gathered unto his people, being old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. So there is um, Isaac's deathbed. Now, you think of how the sons here seem to be reconciled at the deathbed, how often that is. But you notice what is said about Isaac, that he gave up the ghost and died and was gathered unto his people. And then his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Now, you need to notice the order there. You know, we can take the fact that he gave up, well, he gave up the ghost just means that he passed away. It speaks of the peacefulness. He just took his last breath. That's what the Hebrew indicates. But then after taking his last breath, it says that he was gathered to his people. And we could think of that as a euphemism for death, or for burial, really. Be gathered that he was buried in the same plot as his fathers were. You, you think of the romantic proposal of marriage. Do you want to be buried with my people? Uh, well, that's what it was like. He was, bur- he was buried with his own people. But it's more than that. Because you will see here that it isn't burial because it says that after he was gathered unto his own people that Esau and Jacob buried him. So it's not burial. He dies, he's gathered to his own people, and then he's buried. So you can see the way that he's gathered to his own people before he's buried. What does that indicate? Well, it indicates that he goes to be with his fathers and to his own people in heaven. That's what it indicates. And sometimes we wonder whether we'll know our loved ones in heaven or whether we'll know them. Uh, but the very phrase there, that being gathered to our own people, uh, speaks about the fact that there is knowledge. that We, we will know our loved ones in glory. We, we will be gathered to them. We will meet them in glory once again. And what a wonderful prospect that is for the people of God. Now, I need to move on because we're, time's near gone again. But not only do I want you to see the losses that Jacob suffered, but look at the legacy he left. Now, the legacy that he left was his sons. And you see the whole focus of Holy Writ after it speaks about uh, Jacob here, Jacob, Isaac dies. Jacob now becomes the head of the family. He takes on the blessing and the birthright that he'd been given so very long ago. And he waited all his life for that, in, in a sense. He was, he's like King Charles, who waited, has waited all his life to become king. But he had to wait for the death of his mother for that to take place. And that's something like that with Jacob here. He waits his whole life to become the head of the family. 
But I want you to notice something very interesting in Scripture. That as soon as Jacob takes on the role of being head of the family, the whole emphasis of Holy Writ turns away from Jacob. And you'll see that the next chapters um, begin with Joseph. So the whole emphasis swings away from Jacob to his sons. You, You wonder, what's all that about? What's all that about? Well, you know, sometimes it is what we might count as secondary in our life is the most important thing. The most important thing that Jacob did was to have his sons, to bring up his sons. And when he brought up his sons, the whole of the emphasis now turns to Joseph, turns to Judah, turns to the other of the sons. And you know, we might think that something is so important in our lives, our job, the position that we gain, the things that we do. But you know, the most important thing as far as eternity is concerned, maybe something that we count as secondary, maybe something that we count as unimportant. And yet, God may be raising up a son or a daughter to serve him on the mission field or in the ministry or just to be a pillar, an elder in the local church, or or to be a Sunday school teacher in the local church, or to be a children's worker leader in the local church. And that could be the most important thing that could be true of you in your life. Your son, or your daughter, or your grandchildren may do something for God in a day to come. And that may be the most important thing That is true in your life. That's Jacob's legacy, his sons. Now, you notice the counting of the sons. There's 12 of them here. Now, later on, the tribe of Joseph is divided into two, and it becomes Ephraim and Manasseh. There's um, 11 tribes and two half-tribes, or in many ways, 13 tribes. And when you come to the New Testament, you have 12 apostles. And then... It becomes 11 because Judas dies, and then they elect Matthias, or he is chosen as a disciple, and then Saul of Tarsus becomes the 13th, although they are still known as the 12th. So in both cases, there are 13, but they are known as the 12 all the time, because 12 in the Bible, like the number 7 is the number of perfection, 40 is the, the number of probation. So the number 12 seems to be the number of God's chosen people. In the book of Revelation, you have 24 elders, 12 representing the Old Testament saints, the Old Testament church, 12 representing the New Testament church. So there's a significance in the number here in this portion of Scripture. But not only do we have the counting of the sons, but the continuity of the sons. We find today, for for example, that most Jewish people don't know what tribe they come from. Um, If they're named Cohen or Levi, all, all likelihood is that they come from the tribe of Levi. Most of them are from Judah. But If you look at the Jewish uh, websites, there are those, uh, there are a few that can tell their tribal origin. 
but mostly the can't. But we read how in Matthew 18 and verse, or 19 and verse 28, and Luke 22, verse 3 or 30, it speaks about the 12 tribes of Israel. It says, And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Lord Jesus, the Son of Man, shall sit on the throne of his glory, ye, shall, ye also shall uh, sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. The apostles will judge the twelve tribes of Israel, indicating that in the last days we will know. Of course, there is all sorts of DNA uh, investigations that are being done today. It's, uh, we're able to tell things better. But we find that in the, when the Lord Jesus comes again, there will be a turning of the children of Israel to the Lord. And we find that in that day, they will know what tribe they come from. But I want you to see the continuity of the sons. There's going to be, in a, in a day to come, they will know, of course, when it speaks about the holy city, the heavenly city, there are 12 gates, each named with one of the tribes of Israel. So there is an importance in this. We think of how the Lord Jesus is coming again one day, the day of the fullness of the Gentiles. And it says that so Israel, so all Israel shall be saved. As is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And the mention of Jacob would indicate ethnic Israel. And ethnic Israel will turn again to their Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice also the communication about the sons in Genesis 49. Now, I did a, um, a study on this many years ago. You can still get it on sermon audio. How Jacob gives a blessing to his sons. It says in verse 1 of Genesis 49, And Jacob called up unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you what that which shall befall you in the last days. And he gives these benedictions, these prophecies about the last days. And the benedictions span from the time that they were in Egypt right through to the millennium when the Lord Jesus Christ will be king. And obviously I can't go into them now. I don't have uh, even time to maybe even finish this message. But uh, we think of Jacob here and he's given, he receives messages from God. He obviously receives these prophecies from the God of heaven. He's in touch with God now. He is in communion with God now. You think of much of his life, he had ignored God. He lived by his own uh, senses and by his own devisings and by his own deceit and by his own uh, lies and so on and so forth. But here's a man now at the end of his life and he's in touch with God. Are you in touch with God? Maybe you've come to the end of the, your life. Are you closer to God now than you've ever been before? But you think of the legacy of Jacob. It's in his sons. It's in his posterity. What kind of lessons, what kind of uh, legacy have you in your life and in your generation. Well, one more thing. Let's just 
finish this, the life he enjoyed. In Genesis 49, verse 33, you read about the death of uh, Jacob himself. We've read about the death of all of these others. But in Genesis 49, verse 33, it says, And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into his bed and yielded up the, up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. We see the calmness of his death. He yielded up the ghost. And then again we have that phrase, he was gathered to his people. And we've thought about that when we thought about Isaac and how God gathers his people together and we meet together. Oh, what a wonderful thing that we have peace with God. My, when we face the end of life, it's a wonderful thing to have peace with God. That calmness that we have. There's calmness in his death. There's contentedness in his death. He yielded up the ghost. No struggling. No, that's just a simple releasing. Here he was, 180 years of age, but he's just crossing over the Jordan, just sailing out. And we read in Hebrews 11, verses 9 and 10, by faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him, of the same promise, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That's speaking of Abram, a heavenly city, an eternal city, is the lot of every one of us. And then look at the certainty in his death. He's gathered to his people. Gathered to his people. My will be gathered, one with another. But I want to see my Savior first of all before on many others I will call. And then for countless days on his dear face I'll gaze. I want to see my Savior first of all. And as all the result of a mighty regeneration, that day when God dealt with Jacob, that day when God met with Jacob, when he was fleeing from his family and from the deeds that he had done, when God saved Jacob by his grace. It's all a matter of a mighty regeneration. And old supplanting, deceiving Jacob was gathered to his people in the end. It wasn't what he did or the life that he had lived, but it was the fact that he was redeemed by the precious blood of Christ that made the difference. Oh, may we live a life that is a legacy for God, and may we live a life that is glorifying to his name. Let's just bow in a word of prayer, and we'll close in a word of prayer because our time is gone, but let's just seek the face of God as we come to the close of our meeting. Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we do thank thee today for thy precious word. We think of Jacob at the end of his life, there were many trials and troubles and burials. But Lord, we thank thee that through it all, thou wast uh, just making things right in his life. We thank thee, Lord, for the legacy that he left. We're glad of that line that came down to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank thee for the legacy that we can have. Give us a good legacy as we leave this scene of time, may we be those 
that can say that we've lived lives that are glorifying to our God. Bless us now, part us in thy fear and with thy blessing. Take us to our homes in safety and be with us throughout this day. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen.